it, it's full of everything we need, God, to direct our path. And we're here hungry for this word today, hungry for this manna to hear and see at this moment in our lives that this would be edifying and, and building up and strengthening to us in our walk, each of us individually. I pray, God, that you would anoint me to preach your word. Uh, Lord, there's nothing in me that's capable uh, of bringing such magnificent things to people apart from you using me and, and directing me and speaking through me, God. And so I ask that you would do that now in these moments ahead, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So I want to start out today in our message just by kind of telling you a story. And in telling you this story, I'm being a little bit vulnerable and kind of a little open with you just to help you see a, just a process that I have, have went through. And, uh, and so I don't want this to come across as like me just talking about things that, you know, poor me. That's not my intent here because I'm, I'm kind of through this now and I have the ability to talk about it through a place of coming through it. But I think that it's important because it's really where this message is kind of birthed out of. It makes sense. So I'm going to share that with you. It's going back earlier in this year. And as many of you know, we came through last year with just God was moving. He was opening doors, parting, you know, things that needed to be parted to make a way for us to grow, to expand, for us to really step out. This is a significant leap that we are making and taking to go into this next season of what God has for us. And through the whole last year, I, I was just very excited, exhilarated, full of faith, you know, uh, confident, let me say it that way, in my ability to lead through this transition and at this next level, and felt like, yes, I'm, I'm ready, we're ready, this is the time, you know, and while we were approaching this, this place, uh, all through the last year and really the last couple of years, I've made a lot of changes in my own personal life when it comes to my work rest rhythms and recovery rhythms and just all kinds of things that have caused me to move more into a place of health where I really am just feeling as great as I've ever felt in my entire life. And, and time with the Lord is sweet uh, and just so precious and God just speaking and showing things at great levels and time with him was, has just been fantastic. And so we, we sort of turned a corner at the end of the year when we purchased this new building and then we got into the new space and then all of the new responsibilities, the new amounts of decisions, the new amount of just everything that goes into stewarding that started to set on me. Does that make sense? Like I, I it hadn't set on me last year, <laughs> but we were headed there and then we turned the corner and then it set on me. And so now it was like, okay, now you, now you can walk in it. Now you can feel it and move around because now it's on you and you're there. And there was this period of probably a couple of weeks where it just became very overwhelming. And it just, it got very difficult to where it was like, if I've got to make one more decision, if I've got to, I think my head is going to snap, you know? And it, it got to the point where it was just really affecting me. And when I would sit down to pray, when I would sit down to read the word and study the word, I was there, and I know God was there, but it was almost like there was just this fog, like I couldn't even think straight. And I'm not used to that from these last couple of years have just been this great 
trajectory with the Lord and what he's doing, and I'm like, what is going on? I, I don't like this, and I don't, I don't want to be in this place, you know? But I couldn't seem to figure out uh, what was changing or what had changed. And so I reached out to our friends at Gateway and some of my personal mentors and counselors and some of our folks from our intercessory prayer team were praying for me and just really asking the Lord to break some things open. And in a conversation with Pastor David with Gateway, you know, we were talking and he said, um, you know, Matt, you've just kind of stepped into this new place, whereas before you weren't in this place. So I have language for that now, but I wasn't sure at the time how to say that or what was going on. He's like, you're there now. He said, and so what the nature of a test is, is it, it reveals where you are. Like, that's interesting. He's like, it reveals where you are. That's really what the nature of a test is designed to do, is show you where you're currently at. And I think that's what God might be doing. You know, he said, well, let me ask you this. Do you trust God fully with this vision? And I said, well, evidently not enough. (laughs) I mean, I thought I did. But evidently not enough was really the answer. Because what was happening is, I had all this trust last year going in, and then we made this turn and this, cha- this transition and then kind of stepped into this new place, and all the extra weight and responsibility of this new season that I was so ready for set on me, and I realized I am not, tr- I was trusting God before, but there's a new level of trust now that I need that I'm not at yet. Does that make sense? And so we go through these periods of like shaking and testing and things are kind of, it feels like they're kind of pounding on us a little bit. And here's what I believe. I believe in these moments, if we allow the Lord to really do his work through that, that things kind of fall out of us and reveal to us where we really are in certain places of our lives and in our walk with God and how we're relating to him. And sometimes when they fall out of us, we don't particularly like what we see. <laughs> But we need to do something with that. And I think that this is the space, this, this area where God allows some things to get shaken up so some things can be revealed is, is really the direction that I want to go today. Everybody just kind of grab your neighbor and shake them a little bit. Right? And what fell out? <laughs> oh, okay, interesting things fell out there. You know, and so let's say that, that that was what it was for me. Look, praise God. I mean, he's just kind of, now, now I'm on this journey and things are going great and I, I feel really, really good and God's kind of, I'm, I'm back to this place. But look, it was just this couple weeks where it's like, man, something's not right here. And I think the Lord was just trying to show me, I need you to see where you are because what you perceived is not exactly accurate. And I need you to be at a different place And I need to add some things to you where you're going, but you need to see it and understand it in order for it to happen the way I want it to. And so, um, you know, could it be that in these shaking and these kind of pounding moments, there's really some purpose in it? There's really some purpose in it. So let's do this. Take your Bibles out, and I want you to go on a little journey with me today. We're going to, I'm going to have you meet me down at the Jordan River And we're going to be at the Jordan with Jesus and with John the Baptist. And there's this awesome moment prior to when Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist uh, where John has some things to say to the people who are coming down and the audience that's there. 
It's in Luke chapter 3. So go ahead and open that up. Now, John the Baptist is a great figure in the Bible, right? He's a forerunner. Um, in fact, I would call him a pointer. He's a pointer. He's, he's pointing to the Messiah and uh, not in a way where it's ages or eras out like other prophets did. John is, is unique because the Messiah is upon them. <laughs> and so John is pointing to him. He's declaring who he is. John actually identifies himself as the one Isaiah prophesied about when he says, behold, there is one who is coming and crying from the wilderness to prepare and make way to make path of the Lord. And John says, that's, that's me. This is a pretty big deal, right? And in Luke chapter 3, uh, John's baptizing people at the Jordan River, and he's saying, I am baptizing you with or in water. And this is baptism unto repentance, repentance of sin, turning away from our sin, acknowledging that we have sin, right? He says, I'm baptizing you into water for repentance of sin, but there's one coming after me who's going to have a different baptism. Now, let's go to verse 7. So John said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, which if you don't know, that means... Uh, offspring of a serpent. That's pretty powerful language right there, huh? Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? And so he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, soldiers asked him, saying, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The King James Version says the Holy Ghost. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's stop right there. First thing I want you to see is that there are multiple audiences within this audience. There's different groups here. If you read this in the book, the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are there, and uh, and those are the ones I believe he's addressing as brood of vipers. Uh, but it, we also see these other groups. We see soldiers, likely Roman soldiers, maybe some Hebrew soldiers. Uh, we see tax collectors. 
we see an audience of people who are genuinely interested in turning from wrong and turning towards right. And not everyone is that way, but we see a group within this group that are. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of important because what John is doing in these verses is he's addressing this entire variety of audience uh, with a message that really relates and applies, but kind of differently to each and every one of them. And specifically, what I want to show you as we open up before we get into the kind of meat of the message is that he is introducing some different baptisms. Now, John is baptizing in water unto repentance. And he's saying, this is, this is what I'm doing, and this is a, a water baptism that is designed to be an outward expression of what has happened inwardly in our hearts. Now, I know there's different denominations that have different doctrine around this. I'm just only going to tell you what we feel and what we believe, okay? But we believe that water baptism is symbolic, that it's not necessarily the act of getting water baptized that saves us, it's the confession of our mouth and the belief in our heart that Jesus is Lord that creates the regeneration of the Spirit. But Peter says that water baptism is an is a, uh, expression of a good conscience towards God. We know Jesus said, you are to be water baptized. So in obedience to Jesus' words, and as an expression outwardly of what's happened inwardly, we partake of water baptism as new believers. Following me so far. So John says, this is, this is one of the baptisms. But then he says that there is one coming after me. He's speaking about Jesus. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is another fairly often debated topic in different denominations, and again, I'm just going to tell you what we feel and what we believe, is that this is uh, an, an, an experience with God, the Holy Spirit, that occurs sometimes simultaneous with salvation, but oftentimes it happens after a salvation experience. When we are saved and give our life to Christ, it would be appropriate to say we are infilled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us and seals us. We are a child of God. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we see evidence of this in the day of Pentecost, which is what John's kind of alluding to is going to happen not long from now, then the Holy Spirit is poured out, and baptism, by definition, is immersion. It means to be fully surrounded by, to be put into, okay? And he says, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to baptize you into, immerse you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus used language like this. He said, when this happens, you're going to be endued with supernatural power from on high, okay? Uh, and so some people would say, well, the Holy Spirit baptism, that's the same, that just means when you're saved and you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, now, I don't agree with that because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the Spirit of God, one Spirit, baptizes us into one body. So I know this, I'm throwing a lot at you, but there's a reason for it, okay? And so what that means is Jesus baptizes us or immerses us into the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit 
baptizes us when we become new believers into the body of Christ. We become a child of God, a son or a daughter, part of the family of God. We are all part of the body of Christ, and that is the baptism that the Holy Spirit does into the body. Am I making sense? So, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, often referred to as the baptism of fire, is an occurrence that happens when God pours out his spirit over a believer and they are endued with supernatural power to be able to walk out this life that God has created them for. And so we get infilled with the spirit at salvation. We get baptized in the spirit at a moment where we choose to seek and pursue that and then God pours that out over us. And then our lives are typically marked by power and supernatural gifts and things that begin to flow out of us after that. There's also this uh, thought that John may be, when he says the Holy Spirit and fire, he may be talking about two things separately here. He may be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but when he says and fire, many theologians think that he's actually discussing the time at the end of days when Jesus returns and all of the unbelievers, rebellious spirits, the ungodly from all of the generations, as well as fallen angels, which are known as demons and Satan himself, are cast into the lake of fire because fire means purification and it also means judgment. It's a solid theory because of the verses that follow after this. Now, whether John is saying fire as judgment or fire with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't really negate anything. It's just interesting that John is kind of bringing all of this into perspective for this variety of audiences because here's what I think is really the heart of what he's trying to say. It's one of two things. You either come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and then the fire that you know and that you walk in is a fire of power and of purification to sanctify you for the works of God all throughout your earthly life, or the fire that one will know will be the fire of judgment that happens at the end if one does not receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. All right, we all on the same page. So now let me show you this. Go to, and here, say this real quick. I went through that because I wanted to set this up at the end of service today when we close out. I want to pray for people who have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit to receive that. So I'm just letting that set on you now um, so that you can hear the word and that you can let the Lord just draw you. If he is drawing you, I would just suggest to you that he has an appointment for you today to experience and receive him in a way beyond what you may have known. I want to be very clear about this. Uh, in our doctrine, we believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience that happens many times after salvation, but we do not believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is necessary for salvation. We believe it's through the blood of Jesus Christ, our acknowledgement and faith in him as our Savior that is saved, that gets us saved. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that God makes available to us that I believe he wants us to have, that he wants us to walk in a supernatural kind of power that we can receive, as Luke says, if we will ask him for that, which implies there's a genuine willingness and desire to have it, 
not some sort of like resistance to it. And I know a lot of times people have that view towards it. And if that's the case, that's okay. I'm just saying uh, there's got to be a desire and a willingness there if you want to receive that. But I'm letting it set on you now so that the Lord might work on you and deal with you through the service, okay? So when we go to these next verses um, that we read after he talks about the baptism, we see that he talks about threshing wheat, he talks about a winnowing fan, and then he talks about separation. And it's this process right here that refers to either judgment or purification in the way that it happens, this process of threshing and winnowing that I am particularly interested in talking to you about today. Because if I were to describe to you how wheat is threshed, it's, it's basically done in three stages. There's the threshing when they've, we've gathered the wheat, and, and it can be done with other crops too. The process is a little bit different, but they gather it up and then in the threshing, they, they kind of beat it or pound it with these sticks because there are two parts that are sort of coexisting within the wheat stalk. There's the wheat itself, which is the fruit, and then there is the chaff, which is the useless and worthless part. And in the beating and in the pounding, in the threshing, is where the separation begins to occur. It's where the good is identified from the bad, okay? And the good, praise God, you can see this as a key theme in Scripture, the good is always set aside for a reward or for something great that is ahead to be experienced. But the bad is being separated out so that it can be blown away by the wind and discarded, and then eventually they would throw that in the fire to burn it and consume it. I've got a little video I want you to watch that just shows you in 60 seconds what the process of threshing wheat kind of in fast forward looks like. So you see that, how it had to be beaten in order for it to be separated, and then that which was useless was just kind of blown away and carried away, and then that which is good was preserved. And so I think for those of us who are in Christ, we need to understand that this is a process that God will take us through to purify us and to add things to us for where he wants to take us in our future, there are different types of threshing tools and instruments. Isaiah says in chapter 28 that cumin is threshed one way, wheat is threshed another way. There's different tools. There's different things. And so what that tells me is that the Lord is multifaceted and diverse in the ways that he will allow threshing to happen in our lives. I know this is difficult sometimes to hear, 
But God allows trials and tribulations. In fact, God even allows Satan and the enemy to do certain things that will test us so that it can prove things and show us things that he wants us to see. If that messes with you a little bit, then you just need to read the book of Job to understand what I'm talking about, okay? It happens that way. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a testing or a revealing process. And I think that in the early part of this year, the story I told you about in the beginning, it's very much like what I was going through. God was allowing some things to kind of pound on me and beat on me, allowing to feel some pressure and some difficulty so that some things could be exposed, some things could kind of fall out and reveal them. Yeah, you trust me, but you don't trust me the way you think you do. And this was the way I needed to get you to see that. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you've just been kind of getting pounded on, you've just been getting beating? Could it be that there's actually some really significant purpose that is at play that God is up to in those moments that he wants to show you what needs to go away, what needs to be purged, what needs to be purified, and the things which are good that need to continue to be built upon as you move forward, and he wants to grow you and prepare you for new levels of responsibility and stewardship into your calling. Amen. And so I want to show you just a few things, I don't even have time to get to all of them, but I, I look through the Bible at what are some of these things that we see get threshed, get sifted, get separated out this way that God uses this process to do. And number one is souls. Number one is souls. And so when John says that Jesus has a winnowing fan in his hand, and he's, he's separating the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff is thrown into the fire, and the wheat is preserved. I'm just going to tell you, no doubt about it, in my mind or in 99% of scholars' minds, he is talking about the day of judgment. He is talking about a time that will occur when Jesus returns, and this age will end, and it will all be settled at that point. The time of mercy and forbearance will come to a close and the eternal age will usher in and God will begin to separate out those souls who have rejected and rebelled against him throughout all of the ages and they will have one eternal outcome and those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ will be like the wheat that will be separated out and preserved for his barn which represents paradise in eternity with Jesus for all of the ages. Souls will be separated at the day of judgment. Now, this is not a popular doctrine today. Um, and I don't, I'm not really sure, I guess, I don't understand where we landed in some places on this, um, but a lot of people, they, they want a doctrine of heaven, but they don't want a doctrine of hell. <laughs> if you, would you agree? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? They, they want a doctrine of heaven, but they don't want a doctrine of hell. They want a doctrine that really leaves room for us to kind of live our lives in whatever way we see fit that we want to that's right for us and then still allows room for the full blessings of God to be upon that person. And when you read the full Bible from beginning to end, there is a doctrine of heaven, but there is a doctrine of hell, and it is a very real place. And it's something that we need to know and we need to hear because as believers, one, it keeps us very thankful for what we are being spared of and we're being saved from, 
right? And, and keep this in mind that when that happens, the Bible is clear. Those in Christ are, are saved from the wrath of God. They are saved from that fiery judgment of God into eternal torment. And, and that's awesome. So it's, it's a thankfulness, but it's also kind of a motivation of like, there's a lot at stake here. People need to hear the truth, <laughs> Because if we candy coat it, they, they may not hear what they need to hear to get out of this place of eternity that's way worse than your worst day here on earth, I promise you. It says it's eternal torment. The Bible says is that the worm never dies and the anguish and fire never go out. We, we don't even have the faculties to comprehend what that even means, the kind of pain and suffering that results from that, right? But he's, so souls will be uh, separated or threshed. And in the church, even today, I think that throughout the church and the world, you know, we probably have, it's fair to say this, that there would be wheat and chaff even in the church. There'd be some who are coming for a nice message, but really haven't acknowledge I was born a sinner and I need Jesus and I need to be saved and actually received salvation. And, and I am aware of that, which is why, you know, my heart is always leaning towards, I'm always leaning into, in every message that we preach, a gospel invitation, right? We're always trying to make an invitation and an opportunity through every service for people to receive Christ, to give their lives to Christ, or to come back to walking with him because when I stand in this place right here, I am aware of the responsibility and of the weight that hangs in the balance for souls who are out here that I don't know where their eternal state or condition lies at right now. I had a, a person one time say to me, you know, I think that you just really, well, they said this to another person who said it to me, but they said, I think that um, this kind of asking for a salvation prayer at the end of every service or most services is just... I just don't think that's right. I think that's unnecessary. I think just need to put it out there, and then we just kind of have the opportunity to go and do with it what we want. And respectfully, okay, I disagree because there's a call to every message. When I'm talking about a certain subject or a message, the heart of the message, you know, that's there for us. There's a call to action. How am I going to respond to that? How am I going to apply that to my life? But everything leads to and flows from the gospel. It's the center of it all. And so if you read the New Testament, what you'll find is that Paul never stopped preaching the gospel, even to saved people. <laughs> That's a revelation, isn't it? Paul never stopped preaching the good news of the gospel, even to saved people. And so and you'll see that throughout our services many times. We're continuing to make that call and that invitation for the lost soul and for the prodigal because we understand that this is really where it all starts and the foundation of everything is built upon is the cross and the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Number two, another thing that we see gets tested or threshed, kind of shaken and separated is our faithfulness. Our faithfulness, and, and I would say this is more of like that place that I found myself in earlier this year, is we tend to think we're faithful. By the way, being faithful means to have faith and endure and, and continue to have faith, 
through tough and difficult things, right? Remaining faithful, enduring. And so a lot of times people, will, we will think we're faithful, but we're not necessarily faithful at the level we perceive we are. We're faithful to a degree until certain things happen. And then the Bible says in the book of Hosea, I'm gonna read you a couple verses, that then all of a sudden that faithfulness just kind of blows away like chaff. It doesn't endure. Here's Hosea uh, first, let's go to chapter 6, verse 4. He says, O Ephraim, which is part of Israel, he's speaking to some of his people. He says, What shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? Your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. So he's saying it's soft. It's, it's just kind of flighty. It's there, and then it's not there. Makes, it's there, and then it's not there. It's there, and then the sun comes out, and then it, it runs. So it's, it's not really true faithfulness by definition. And testing and threshing kind of will shake these parts of our life up a little bit. Sometimes we can be faithful about God's promise in a certain area, but be very flighty in our faithfulness about his promise in another area of our lives. Testing and threshing will reveal and expose these things to us. And might I just say, we're better off for that because it has the opportunity to add something to us in that process if we allow it to. Hosea 13, uh, he's talking to the people of Ephraim again here, and he's saying that they just sin and sin and sin. Verse 3, he says, Therefore shall be like the morning cloud, like the early dew that passes away, like chaff blown off from a threshing floor, and like smoke from a chimney. Wow. So the testing and the threshing begins to reveal where our faithfulness might really be in a certain area. And really, this is good news if we will be willing to see and accept whatever is actually exposed. Well, here's what happens a lot of times is when the things fall out and they shake out, we don't like what we see, we rewrite the narrative so that that can still be that way. That's dangerous. We've got to be willing to hear and see and receive what falls out, what gets exposed, even if we don't like it, because praise God, he wants to do a great work in that moment. He says, I want to take those things in you that are not good, that aren't where they need to be. I want to shake them out, and I want to blow them away by the Spirit of God. I want to blow them out of your life and be there no more, and I want to build upon these good things which shall remain, and there is always a reward. There is always a hope in something good that is coming after the threshing from the things that are good that are preserved. And God says that, you know, we've got to see those things in the moment. Number three uh, would be our works, our deeds and our actions, what we're building our lives with day to day, year to year. Those things will get tested. They will get shaken. Are we really operating in obedience? Are we really acting in consistency with the word of God, or are we kind of erring and compromising in certain places of our lives? And, and God will expose these things. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, we are God's fellow workers. 
You are God's field. You are God's building. Let me just pause right there. This is so good. And I don't have time to preach on this, but this is so good. He says, you are God's fellow workers, which means that you're his co-laborers. We partner with God. You remember when I talked about that in the uh, series of Nehemiah, right? We're partnering with God for a great work. He says, you're God's fellow workers. And then he calls us his field and his building, which means that we are being cultivated and tilled up and, and, being, and grown up for something good. A building means that we're being built and established and brought upright so that we can be filled with his spirit and be a dwelling place for God in our own temple. Pretty awesome, right? It suggests that God's always doing a work on us, is what that means. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, there's actually two groups of materials that these separate out into, earthly and eternal. Verse 13, then each one's work will become clear. Now, listen to this. For the day, capital D, which means the day of judgment, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So what he's saying is there's going to be a shaking over all of the actions and deeds and the way we lived our lives. And if we built with integrity, we built with godliness and the things that are upright, he says in that day of judgment at the end then those things are going to actually pass through the fire and they will bring a reward to those who enter into eternity who have built their lives and their deeds upon godliness and upon truth. He says, for those who are saved, who know Christ, but have lived in ungodly ways and built their lives out of things that are wood, hay, stubble, straw, those things are actually going to get torched, (laughs) in the fire, and they're not going to pass through. He's going to suffer loss, which means there's a reward that won't come from that. But listen, but he himself will be saved. That's powerful right there. That means that what I, how I, yes, I'm saved by grace, and if I know Jesus and I've given my heart to him, I can live with the assurance of my salvation, but my life is going to matter. How I live my life is going to count for something, And I want the way I live to pass through at the end and to transition into treasure in heaven and in eternity. Because God says it's good for me and he wants to give it to me. But if we're working and living our lives and building with things right now that are not of eternal significance, then I want to suggest to you that these times of threshing and challenges and difficulty and whatever things you might go through might very well be an attempt of our loving, gracious God to open our eyes to see so that we might start building with different materials from that day on. Let those things get shaken out and put away and thrown aside and let me begin to build with precious things that are, in, that are of value in the eyes of the beholder, my God. Build uprightly. The fire will test them. And the fire tests everything. You know, it, we live out in the country, and uh, 
and we have six kids and Katie and I, so there's eight in the family, and I just can't even tell you how much trash eight people in a household go through. I mean, I am taking the trash out, it seems like, nonstop, you know, trash cans full, trash cans full, trash cans full, wow. And so I've got, you know, this dumpster out there by the barn that I take all it, but one of the things I do is burn uh, paper and cardboard and just all that stuff to kind of get rid of those things. So I have my burn bags and my burn piles, and then I have the normal trash. And I have explained, Brittany, to Katie and the kids 25,000 times that if it doesn't burn, it doesn't go in this pile. I have a little bit of an issue. I know. I, I know. I'm working on that too. Okay. <laughs> so I go out to burn. And, you know, you got these bags, so you can't just go through everything. And it's like there's eggshells. And there's banana peels, and then there's cans, and then there's glass, and I'm like, this stuff doesn't burn, and then the pile just keeps getting bigger, and so I got to dig it out of the burn pit every so often, and every time I do, I'm like, gosh, this could all just be avoided, they just put nothing but paper and cardboard in these bags. So you go through this burning process of this intense fire, and then I look down, and what's interesting is these things are still there because they pass through the fire. They don't burn. And I think that this is a good picture of the kind of things that we want to build our lives upon. It, it, it's here. It's available to us. The things that God tells us to do and how he tells us to live, it's, it's right there. We can either rewrite the script for ourselves to kind of make it work with the way we want to live, or we can allow God's word to inspect us, to sift us, and to shake the things out of us that don't belong, and to continue to build on the things that are of value in his eyes. This is the life of a growing believer, is to see these things and to respond to these things with a true and gracious and penitent heart. Make sense? Amen. Uh, and then the last one is kingdoms. And I put this in here because it's like, wow, that's, it's very obvious that this does get threshed, that this does uh, happen and get separated. He talks about nations and kingdoms being threshed and being separated. And specifically, he talks about all of the nations or kingdoms of this world that are not of God and not following God. They may rise, they may get powerful on the earth, but they have no ability to contend with the power and with the kingdom of God. There is one eternal kingdom that is being built right now and will be established for all of eternity. He says all the other kingdoms of the world, they will be crushed, they will be pounded, they will be broken down into dust, and they will blow away like the chaff in the wind on the earth. That tells me that as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you are too if you know Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, a son or a daughter, as a citizen of, a, of the kingdom of heaven, then we are living according to something that is eternal. We are living as citizens according to something that will last forever, and we abandon any allegiance or any subserviency to any kind of kingdom of this world. You might say that a kingdom is a culture or a belief system or a way of thinking. In fact, we know that one of the mighty kingdoms of the ancient ages was Babylon, and there were many prophecies against Babylon, but I believe and many scholars believe 
that the, the Babylon that's referred to in the book of Revelation speaks of the kingdom that comes under the control and authority and influence of the Antichrist. And he says there will be a time where Babylon will rise again, but Babylon will be brought down. And that's, that Babylon spirit, that culture and kingdom, what it does is it gets people on the earth to begin to accept and tolerate, even celebrate things that God actually rejects. Does that sound familiar? God says, don't fear, don't worry. That kingdom may be rising up, but I'm telling you, that kingdom will be crushed and will be brought down. Amen. <laughs> Daniel interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream where he saw a statue, and it was a head, and then a chest, and arms, and then a waist, and then legs. It was of different materials. There was gold, silver, bronze, and then iron, and it represented different kingdoms. And let me tell you what Daniel prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar that this dream meant. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the days of these kingdoms, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Because what happened in the dream was that a mountain was cut out of the earth, and it was not cut out with hands, and this mountain came up, and it came down, and it crushed the statue, the head, the arms, the waist, the legs, all the different materials representing different kingdoms and empires. It crushed them into fine powder and fine dust. And then Daniel says here in verse 45, the dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. That means that the kingdom of God, the mountain of God that will be established as new Jerusalem once Jesus returns for all of the eternal age, it's a powerful, mighty kingdom, and it crushes, it separates, it divides, it exposes, it reveals anything that's not of God, that's not of him, that's not of his ways, and those things that which are, and those things which are will be rewarded, will be preserved, will experience blessing, and those things which are not will be discarded, they will be burned up by the fires and the trials and we as believers have to ask ourselves this question, what are we building our lives with? What are my true desires and intentions? Because I think we can even fool ourselves on this. But the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It separates to the division of joint and marrow to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It says this thing's like a scalpel. It's precise. It'll show you things that you don't even see accurately in yourself. It'll read you while you read it. That's what it'll do. <laughs> Amen. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we building on? Am I chasing the dust in the wind? <laughs> Earthly, insignificant, culturally relevant things that mean nothing in terms of God's eternal value? Or am I building with precious gold and silver and bronze that are of value in the eyes of God that will pass through the test and that I can continue to build my life upright on as I move forward into this destiny that God has prepared for me. What am I building my life on? We want to get so close to God and in his presence and in our relationship with him that we simply cannot tolerate or stand the presence and the existence 
of anything in our lives that is ungodly. It's like I can't even get away from it. I'm so close to God that I want to be holy as he is holy that when the threshing happens and the things fall out and I see those things, I just, I can't scoop up the dust in a pan and carry it with me. It's got to go. It's got to go. I can't allow that to stay with me anymore. Amen? And as I said earlier, I wanted to make an opportunity today uh, for anyone who's here today that says, you know, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, when you study these verses, a lot of the, the doctrine around this, it has to do with the prepositions that are in the sentences. Um, and you've got to study the prepositions in the original text. So when he says, baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit, he's absolutely describing a process of immersion, of, of being surrounded by and immersed in the power, fire, and spirit of God. And I'll just testify to you that you could never tell me that this is not true because of what I've experienced. And when I came to know the Lord in 2003, I gave my life to him. I was born again. I was filled with the spirit of God. There was no question about it. It was undeniable. I knew I was changed. I knew I was new. I knew I was forgiven. And I knew the spirit of God was living on the inside of me. Done deal sealed that very moment where I gave my life to the Lord. And I got baptized in water not many days after that as an outward expression of what had happened inwardly in me. But I began to study about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't just hear about it and say, oh, yeah, sounds good. I mean, I studied it. I needed to know what the Bible said. I studied doctrine. I researched it. I studied it. And I began to see, yeah, I believe that this is still available today. You can't deny that that's what happened to the apostles and the disciples on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And, and, and Peter later says in the book of Acts, he says, we were preaching to the Gentiles and then the Holy Spirit fell upon them like it did us at the beginning. To fall upon means to be immersed and baptized in. And then they begin to see miracles, signs, and wonders outwardly as a result of that. So what happened for me is about a year after I got saved, I began to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I thought, I got to have that, you know? Jesus says you'd be endued with power from on high. You receive a prayer language. There's gifts of miracles, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy. There's, there's all kinds of gifts that begin to flow out of the life of a person who's walking in the power of God this way. And I said, I, I need that. I want to be endued with this power. And so I started praying for it, and I started seeking that. And what was funny is I had heard stories about people that got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, you know, they just almost couldn't stand. They couldn't, it, the power of God was so overwhelming that they would kind of fall to the ground or they would fall to their knees. And so I had this picture in my head of what was going to happen. And so one night, Katie and I are at our house. This is uh, before we had kids. This is our very first house. And I was in business, and I had a very important meeting that night. And so I went into my room, into my bedroom, closed the door, and I just started praying. And all of a sudden, I could begin to feel the rush of the power of God, the fire, and almost like the wind beginning to come and set on me. I was like, oh, boy, here's what I thought. So amazingly spiritual. I thought, I don't have time for this right now. <laughs> Dead serious. 
I got a meeting to get to, and if what happens to, if what happens to some of these other people happens to me, I'm going to miss this meeting. I'm not going to be able to get up from the floor. I, I, don't, I can't do this right now. So I waved it off. And I just kind of moved out. And it was like, it was still sort of hanging with me, but it got lighter and more faint. And as I was driving to this appointment, I started to have a lot of regret. And I was just like, man, I blew it. I ruined it. My moment passed. That's it. I've wanted this, and there it was, and now it's gone. So I did my meeting that night. I don't even remember, you know, what that was about or what happened. But I did the meeting, came back. I felt terrible for like the next two days. Go to church on Sunday. And we had these um, membership classes that we were going through, and I had some friends that were going through it, so we went to membership class with them to kind of help them get acclimated in the church. By the way, growth track is good. You should do that. Um, and while we're in the class, this guy says, hey, I want to I, I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. And the teacher's like, oh, okay, yeah, absolutely. We'll pray for you at the end, and you'll get it, and no big deal, and, you know, that'd be fine. And I was like, wow, that's pretty assumptive, you know. Um, so at the end of this, the thing, we start praying, and I'm over here, and this guy's over here on the other side of the room, and while we're praying, all of a sudden, I just get rocked by the power of God. I'm like, oh, just feel the power and the electricity and the fire of God, and just, it's a picture of like what you see in Pentecost in, in the book of Acts. Wow, this is amazing, you know, here he's back, is <laughs> what I was thinking. He's not over, I didn't miss it. And so everybody's kind of going over here, and I'm just like, it's me. It's, it's happening for me, you know? And so they come back over and they pray for me. And I'm just like feeling this flood in this rush of like hot liquid love and oil and the power and presence of God just immersing me and surrounding me. There's no doubt in my mind at this point, it is real and this is what's happening to me. And so we go over to service and I walk straight down in between the services there because they're having two. I walk straight down to Pastor Rick right before he kind of finished up, the service was over, but he was going to go back and catch a breather before second service, and I caught him right at the door before he was to go back into his office, and I said, Pastor Rick, and he didn't even really know me that much at the time, I said, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, it's all over me, and I couldn't even hardly talk, almost like I'm feeling him right now, and he said, I can't even hardly talk, and Pastor Rick goes, oh, the fire of God is on you, son, and he just puts his hand on my head, and I'm just like, it was like, I mean, it just exploded. And I fell to my knees and to the ground, and I'm holding the door jam, and I'm leaning up against the door on my knees, and I'm telling you, I can't even move. And I'm weeping with tears of joy, and all I can say is, Jesus, 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 Jesus has become more real to me in that moment than he's ever even been before this. And he is giving me something. He's pouring something out to me that's going to change me for the rest of my life. And Pastor Rick says, okay, have a good day. And he walks away. <laughs> Leaves me there. Leaves me there. I'm like, what the heck? And, yeah, we laugh about that now. Um, went into worship, and I just began to worship and sing praises to the Lord. And as I was singing praises in the worship, all of a sudden a different language began to come out of my mouth. And I was like, oh, this is, this is a prayer language. This is praying in the spirit. This is what I've heard about, you know. 
And, and there had to be a willingness on my part. Like I was, only way I know how to explain it is God didn't just force it out of my mouth. I had, there had to be a willingness to speak and a faith to expect. But the spirit of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter eight that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. So he prays through us. And when he prays, he prays target on the money right to the Father, bullseye every time, the will of God. You ever feel like you pray and pray and pray, and you're like, man, I just there's still so much I missed, you know? But when the Spirit of God bubbles up in you and you give expression to it and you pray, it's like you're praying right on the money every time. And so that's why Paul says, I pray in the language of men and the language of angels. You need both. There's a rhythm. There's a tandem. We pray in our known language and we pray in an unknown heavenly language as well. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit just seems to be, in my opinion, the catalyst to begin releasing this gift in people's lives, among many other gifts like miracles, healing, prophecy, and so on. And I've seen all this stuff. I've seen it. I know for some people, you're probably like, man, that's a lot today for me. You know, I'm new. Um, and I get that because I was there, and I understand that. All I would say to you is that this is the question you probably need to wrestle with. Because when you read the Bible, there's no denying those things happened then. There's no denying they happened then. So here's the question you have to wrestle with. And people end up on both sides of this camp. I get it. You have to answer with, wrestle with this. Was it only for that day or is it still available now? That's the one you got to wrestle with. Because if it was only for that day, then it ended and it's over and it's not available to anybody else. And I'm losing my mind. <laughs> because I pray in the spirit every single day, all the time, constantly. And I've seen many other things happen. But if it is available today, if it is, if there is a power, if there is an intimacy, if there is a level that God wants to take us to, and you believe that, why would you not want that? I guess that's my other question. Why would you not want that? Amen?